The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Taking you on a journey for the pursuit of PPC. Welcome to PPC Rockstars. Get ready to rumble through the latest PPC news and views from around the blogosphere. Learn from our hosts and the PPC pros that will take you to the promised land of PPC profit. We're cashing in the clicks with the PPC Rockstars. Here's your host, David Zatella. Hey, friends. <coughs> your long-lost friend, David Zatella. And we're here for a live episode of PPC Rockstars right here on the vibrant, throbbing show floor at SES New York 2011. And um, I, I, I have missed all of you as much as uh, uh, Brasco has probably missed the ad revenue. I know, I'm sorry. Do you feel the love? Do you feel the love? Course. Okay. Good. good six good, months good. worth. Six good. weeks worth. Here we go. So it's great to be uh, doing this live and in person for a change. And I have, um, I think, probably my favorite guest of all time as well. Brad Getty's here with me. Hi, Brad. Hi, David. <laughs> so um, when Brad and I get together, uh, we usually end up talking about ten percent PPC and ninety percent wacky shit. <laughs> and. Um, I, 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 I kid because it's very interesting to us, but it goes in all, all directions. So we're going we're gonna to actually uh, let you in on a little bit of that because we're just going to continue the conversation that we had just before we went live on the air. So um, raise your hand in the audience if you're doing local advertising. Okay, one, two, three, four. That's good. Okay. So um, Brad and I have been talking about the challenge of... Uh, a local advertiser reaching an audience, period. And then we went from there to an advertiser of any kind with a, an audience or a consumer set that is dispersed uh, geographically. So, um, Brad, just go ahead and start talking about that, please. So, okay, so, <laughs> so when you are a, an advertiser and your customer base is anywhere in the world, essentially, and that's what we're talking about is if you look at... In the eBay model, the eBay model includes shipping um, a physical product, and which obviously has a lot more inherent risks of shipping you know, internationally or nationally, lost in the mail, broken by FedEx, whatever. Um, and, and so David would actually bring up points about digital-based products. And with digital products, there is no lost in the mail. It doesn't exist. And truly, at, at that point in time, and your digital product could be, I mean, it could be a book, it could be a video, it could be music, anything that essentially can exist digitally and not in a physical format. And now your audience is worldwide. It truly is. So the question is, how do you reach the audience? And that's, of course, the, usually the biggest trick is the marketing of reaching the correct audience. But then you also get, you overcome a lot of inherent difficulties of physical-based products, too. Good point. So, um... This uh, topic hit me in sharp relief when uh, I was telling Brad a second ago when I uh, entered my 50s and I realized that a lot of the musicians that I had loved and listened to and learned from um, were still playing, still active, still uh, in some ways uh, even better uh, at their craft than they had been when they were in their 20s and 30s and full of substances. And um, the tragedy and the irony is that they were, they were making very little money 
Uh, and uh, I had the really good fortune to uh, befriend an incredible musician, talented and wonderful person uh, named Pat Travers. And over the past year, I've been helping him. Uh, we called it Coalesce's Fan Base using online means. Uh, started out with Facebook, website, fan club, T-shirts, um, Twitter, uh, more and more esoteric and, and uh, cutting-edge stuff. Uh, at this moment, I think he's in a studio in Florida doing a, a 3D taping of a, of a concert series that will be aired. Um, so it's been really, really fun. But also, you know, it's really illustrated for me the fact that uh, at some time in the future, uh, it will be easy for artists to connect with their audience. Um, and their audience uh, may, may be dispersed uh, worldwide. It may be relatively local, but it will be very easy, straightforward, and cheap for an artist of any kind to connect with their audience. So bring that back to the PPC uh, world. Um, let's talk about another topic that... that uh, well, can I ask you a question on this go one? Go ahead. So, I mean, I, I, sometimes I'm overly tactical, mm-hmm. right? That, that's sometimes, if I have a weakness, it's because I'm too tactical. And so when I, when I hear that, and I think Facebook, great for this, right, for what you're trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. then I, I think, of course, well, how would I do this? Mm-hmm. And the first thing, I'm like, okay, well, obviously, let's target people via Facebook, via who've liked, is it Pat Travis? Pat Travers. Pat, Pat, who've liked Pat Travis, right? So that that's number one. Or have, like, the similar music genre maybe in their likes. Yep. And then target friends of those friends would be, like, my next targeting. Yep. And that's how I think about it. But obviously you were successful with this. So how did you, you go about targeting on Facebook? Well, ironically, um, you know, it, it, I think the experience has simulated well um, a person or two people doing all this stuff without a lot of in-depth tactical understanding and exercise of tactics. Okay, so, you know, I have a full-time job. He's touring and trying to make ends meet, etc. And um, so really, we, we, if, if you strip away all of the kind of add-on tactics, the core of it was good old-fashioned advertising 101 and communication 101. It's basically looking at things like Facebook and Twitter, not as technical phenomena, but a way for him to have a discussion with his fan base, you know, uh, and something something that he does very naturally because he's a warm, personable person with a, with a very heartfelt appreciation for his fan base, every single one of them, and all you know, he his his. Uh, I, I, I didn't have to tell him how to do that. I just had to tell him what buttons to push on the on the screen in order to open up the microphone to facilitate this conversation. So, you know, we've, we've hardly used any targeting tactics. We've kind of dabbled in friends of friends and a little bit of advertising, but mostly it's been, you know, trying to do it relatively organically, trying to coalesce this fan base, we keep, we keep saying. Yeah, no, exactly, because I, I think at Twitter, and, and you and I are both Twitter users. You use Twitter, obviously, a lot more than I do. I'm Twittering right now. Uh, that would not surprise me. Um, and you look at Twitter, and it's great when someone looks for you, right? Or if one of your friends mentions you. But from a, a finding your fan base in a way, it's almost difficult because it's not an outreach to say, yep. "Hey, we exist again." Yep. You know, where any any musician from the '80s and you know early '90s, '70s, '60s, whatever. I mean, they're they're still around too, producing some That's good right. music. Um, their fan base is disseminated in a way that it's hard to find them again. So really, the the issue is letting your fan base know, hey, we exist again. Yep. And, and so that's well, interesting uh, that, to listen I'm, to. I'm, I'm, 
I'm glad we're having this conversation because I'm realizing something about the difference between among the, the channels or the communication channels. So fa- Facebook is good for coalescing a fan base because there are fan pages. Yep. You know, there are, there are, there are focuses, uh, foci, <laughs> you know. Uh, Twitter's, Twitter's not like that at all. Twitter's a way for people to, you know, do momentary conversation with each other. And what I'm realizing is um, the people that are, are, are uh, fe- feeding his fan base on Twitter are more new people. Okay, so there's the, he'll he'll we'll run into one fan, one 55-year-old guy, you know, still going like this and, you know, strumming his yeah. guitar. And he'll reach out to his friends and go, hey, you guys, did you know that Pat Travers is on Twitter? You know, check him out and go see him and listen to this old album, which changed my life. So, you know, the, the different uh, media are, are producing different effects that, you know, I call coalescing the fan base, but it also has a, uh, a, a, a bigger, bigger, equally important objective, which is expanding the fan base. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, if you look at the stats for... The percentage of tweets that someone actually sees in a day, it, it's a minuscule percentage. In fact, I just saw the stats on Facebook that only 10 of your updates, your friends will only see 10% of your actual updates is, is the Facebook numbers. Yeah, that's right. But so many time, people spend time in Facebook doing searches and liking pages, and it's more of a browsing experience, which Twitter is sort of a, a one-and-done experience. That's right. That's right. Um, well, I, we, we could go down the, um, you know, Twitter is different things to different people path. Um, so if you've got 20 Twitter followers and you're following 20 other people or the same people, then it's really not hard to keep track of all these conversations. That's fair. You know. Um, now, if you have... Uh, there's actually a magic number. I can't remember what it is. I, I saw it at some conference I was speaking at recently. It's like 110. If, you, if there are more than 110 people that you're, uh, that you're connected with, uh, you can't possibly... you know maintain an active relationship with all of them um, and that is a modern problem that's certainly a modern problem it will be solved I believe by tools like um, you know tweet deck where you can filter you can say and, and actually it's built into Twitter I've got a list that's called deep tweets you know it's a mm-hmm. private list it's my own list I load it into tweet deck I load it into Hootsuite or uh, Twitter and it's you and, and our buddies and you know those those are the only people that I want to track every single day because you know worlds, pearls, pearls of wisdom fall out of your fingertips no matter what you do so so I, and I'm throw a little shout out to another program that I actually really like um, it's called GIST G-I-S-T uh-huh. And you can load in your Twitter followers, your LinkedIn stuff, um, your Facebook, your email, your the RSS feeds from those individuals, and then you can rank individuals how important they are to you. Oh, neat. And then when you go into the tool, it ranks the content by the person regardless of the content source. Interesting. And so I, f- I find that one sort of interesting too. Is that a is that a uh, software as a service thing? Yeah, it's a it's a free tool still right now. Um, it, it does have like a plugin to Gmail, so if you uh, use Gmail or Google Apps, you yes. can, as you get it, you can actually see their gist data or save it okay. right there. Um, uh, uh, do you remember the URL? It's gist.com. Okay, so there's money behind it because it's a four little u- <laughs> URL. Yeah, it's oh, it's definitely got funding of some sort. I don't know their funding background. It must have funding of some sort. Okay. Well, I'll definitely check it out. Now, uh, we ju- as a company, we just switched to um, Google Apps and Gmail from Microsoft Exchange and Microsoft Office, which is uh, a fascinating experience. So far, so good. But there's another plug-in for Gmail that, that I don't know how I found it. 
probably in the marketplace, in the Google Apps marketplace. It's called uh, Reportive, R-A-P-P-O-R-T-I-V-E. That's been around for quite a while. Okay. Um, I didn't know about it. So Reportive is one that a a lot of people find a bit invasive. Mm -hmm. Some people absolutely love it because it brings data right to your Gmail account. And I'm a big Google Apps user. I was probably in the first couple months they launched it, I I switched to it because I like cloud-based stuff and, uh, and... Outlook is great sometimes, and other times it's not, right? It needs to be taken um, out in the back of the shed and shot. There's a couple features it has Gmail just can't compete with. But outside yeah, of those, true. I would that's agree. Um, and so reportive. In fact, Zenobi was probably one of my favorites. Zobni. Zobni. Is that how you said? Inbox right. backwards. So that's about to be launched, re-launched. for Gmail as well. It, I know. I got um, the beta I've invitation. had it in Outlook, and I loved it in Outlook. Yep, and I actually, when I went to Google Apps, it was a program I missed the absolute most, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'll try it out. I'll, I'll uh, definitely let you know and you let me know. Um, but see, I like Reportive because um, I don't find it that obtrusive. Now, I've ha- I'm, uh, I use big data screens. collection of how they get it I don't is what care. people find. In- I don't it's care. a little intrusive. Yeah, well, you know. And I, sometimes wrong because um, it's, yeah. it's uh, high-level type stuff. Sure, but. sure. But uh, human assistants are sometimes wrong, too. Sometimes they're that's hungover. Fair. No, that's true. <laughs> sometimes they're, they're crooked. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um <laughs> No, I, okay, so intrusive, I can understand in that sense. Yeah, you, you're giving up your social graph to it, basically. And, uh, but I find the value to be worth the intrusion. You know, the value to me is, uh, it's, it's happened to me at least three times in the past two weeks where I got an email from somebody um, that I hadn't met yet. And I saw uh, that they were on LinkedIn and Facebook immediately. I clicked on their, their profile, went to see who we knew in common, knew something about them right away, uh, and that, that established a better connection and faster than if we had gone back and forth in, on email for three months. No, that, that I agree with, and, and if the tools help you out, it's the whole you know, privacy versus usability aspect. Mm-hmm. Right? The less privacy you want, the more usable things are. Mm-hmm. The more privacy you want, the less usable things are. Yep. It's, it's what's comfortable for an individual or a corporation. Yep. Now, we would need alcohol to have the conversation that <laughs> about, you know, what this is all leading to, you know, the Big Brother state. So uh, maybe we should break for a commercial. You think we should break for a commercial? I think we should because commercials are really important. In fact, the commercials on this show are so good that they're actually part of the content. Stay tuned. PPC Rockstars. We'll be back after we click through our sponsors. Two, one, booster ignition. Ascend into new heights of ranking and revenue with a search engine-friendly online shopping cart that's ready for liftoff. Introducing Ascender Cart. Ascender Cart optimizes your shopping cart with easy-to-use SEO tools that will help build keywords, titles, and tags for top search engine rankings. Get all of the advantages of having a shopping cart on your site and monitor your progress with regular reports in just a click. Prepare to launch your shopping cart to the top of the search engines with Ascender Cart. Learn more about what Ascender Cart can do for you at AscenderCart.com. A-S-C-E-N-D-E-R-C-A-R-T.com. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. 
Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. If you're looking for a new multifaceted SEO and social media tool set, look for The Raven. Raven has the important tools that every internet marketer needs. Raven offers customized metrics for managing link building campaigns, social media campaigns, with campaign reporting and research tools that you can easily manage. Build up campaign performance for your clients and give your team the tools that will make them soar. If you want to increase your internet marketing revenue, look for The Raven. Go to raventools.com. That's raventools.com. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. The Cyber Law and Business Report, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Culture and Business Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The pursuit of PPC continues. Welcome back to PPC Rockstars. Here's your host, David Zatella. And we're back. Uh, Brad Geddes and I, if, you, if, you, if you're just tuning in, we just dropped the most amazing PPC secrets on the planet. Wow. Okay, so enough of that. Enough of that. They'll get it on the podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, this, this uh, trend we've seen toward uh, crowdsourcing or outsourcing uh, PPC campaigns or PPC tactics. And uh, moments ago, I got uh, through talking with uh, Tim Meyer and Neil Robertson from Trotta. And Brad, I understand you're on their advisory board? or no, I'm on Boost CTR's advisory board, oh, not okay. Trotta's. Oh, I'm sorry. I Whoops. know the guys Whoops. at Trotta well. I <laughs> okay. um, just want to clarify the difference. Okay. So the guys at Trotta, I know a few of them fairly well. Gotcha. Um, but Boost CTR, which is another crowdsourcing model. Yes. Um, I'm on their advisory board. Gotcha. Okay. So what, what do you think of the crowdsourcing idea for PPC in general? So, first, crowdsourcing and outsourcing, totally different, mm-hmm. right? So, we'll, we'll stick with crowdsourcing okay. here. Um, I, I think there are times it's fantastic. So, let's, I'll, actually, I'll just talk, Boost CTR is one that you, uh, you go in and you upload your campaigns, and what it does is it looks at your ad copies, and then it puts your ad copies where they have a network of writers, and they'll test against your ad copies to see who does better. Mm-hmm. Well, so take a company, and we'll just say um, Expedia. Expedia has so many ad copies that they're written by formulas. So it's right. a really big difference than someone who's handwritten every ad. You can't Absolutely. handwrite 100,000 ads. Mm-hmm. It's not possible. So now what you've got is now a company like you know, a large company can now all of a sudden have access to people who will handwrite ads, which as we know, handwriting is better than formulas, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's going to win most of the time, sure. at least the first few times you try it out. Mm-hmm. And so from that standpoint, you get scale you don't normally have. Now, as, as people who like control, I don't know, you and I both are, we like our control a little bit, and mm-hmm. we can both sometimes maybe be called control freaks <laughs> or something. Um, it's, it's hard to let go of that sometimes because you know how to test. You know who your own people are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you if you think of it as giving up control, you probably wouldn't like the model. 
if you think of it as having access to um, another viewpoints or access to other writers that normally aren't in your system, all of a sudden now you've hired 100 people without paying them. So we're only paying based upon performance-based. And both these are performance-based models. So I I think it almost depends on... You know, how you view the crowdsource company, depending on, on if you even like the model from a high-level standpoint or not. Okay. So, um, I just, I, as I said, I just spoke with the Trata guys. What's, what's the um, optimization model of Boost CTR? How do they decide uh, winners and losers of, of So So, Boost tests? CTR, essentially, they take, you, te- you as an advertiser, you choose what ads you want to be tested. They put it into the writing network. Um, a writer or multi writers will write a few ads. You as an advertiser get to approve whatever, obviously, brand brand permission. So those are, are variations of the ads that the advertiser supplied? So the advertiser is supplying the control and the... The advertiser supplies the control. Okay. The writers write whatever the test ones are. Mm-hmm. And then the test ones go live, or usually only one at a time. Depends how, how fast you want to test. And then... Um, Essentially, right now, they can do CPA models. They're mostly doing CTR models because most people's landing pages aren't dramatically different, especially for big companies, um, by the ad copy part. So they will do CPA eventually. Right now, it's CTR-based. They run the test for a while. If the new ad beats your old ad, then you pay a certain amount. If it doesn't do better than your ad, you don't pay anything. So you only pay on increased performance. And that's for control freaks like us. Yeah. One way to, to, to kind of get into our pockets because we wouldn't want to pay for someone's work, but yeah. we're willing to pay if they're if we're willing to admit they're better than us. Right. Yes, I think we probably both had the experience of paying somebody for inferior work and how much that hurts. Yep. So um, I think I remember hearing that Boost CTR was um, either thinking about or planning to move to an or, or, or offer an alternative, which is optimization based on conversion rate or conversion. They volume. will be doing CPA and, and conversion rate stuff. Um, the platform supports it right now. Mm-hmm. I I don't think they've actually launched the product. I could be wrong on this, but it will be something. Obviously, you have some companies who just care about CPA, right? They don't right. care about CCR, right? Um, and so that will be something that. I don't think it's offered yet, but will be offered in the future. Okay. And I'm sure if you if that's really important to you and you want to trial it, I'm sure you can probably contact and work something out. Gotcha. Um, so Trotta's model is similar. Uh, it's a little... So uh, You know it better than I do. So Trotta's model is you're an advertiser and you go into their system and you upload everything. So it's not just ad copy, it's everything. And they work with you on determining a CPA. And then uh, they they have a lot of optimizers on their side. In fact, they're, I think they're signing up like a thousand optimizers a week right now. But they're they're really they've got a lot of optimizers, and optimizers have to prove themselves. And so your campaigns go out, and a few optimizers may work in your campaigns. Now the way it works though is the optimizers only get paid the difference between what you're willing to pay for a CPA and what they got it for. Oh, okay. So if you say a $20 CPA and one guy's getting it for 15 bucks, he pockets $5 a conversion. Nice, okay. And so if the optimizers don't succeed, they don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the difference in that model is, I mean, it's performance-based, but it's your entire campaign they can they, they get to play with. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you next. Um, 
Boost CTR is really exclusively ads. Exclusively ads. Trata is everything. Structure, keywords. Yep, but it's okay. a CPA basis. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think you'll see, and, and I could be wrong here, I don't think you're going to see like the Expedia is using Trata right away. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see the smaller companies who don't have the expertise to do stuff as, as well. Right. But now they have access to a lot of people, kind of like your statement earlier from. You know, poor versus good is a really big difference. Good mm-hmm. versus great is a smaller difference. Right, right. Um, and and I understand their model now. I, I I was actually I actually gave them my opinion initially, which was uh, it boiled down to there's a huge difference between good and great. And now I realize that for um, many advertisers, including probably a lot of the listeners, you know, going from mediocre, which is all they've had time to get to, up to performing good to very good, uh, can make a huge difference difference yeah. to their business. And, and when you look at AdWords and Bing and, and whoever, right, mm-hmm. there there's a difference between what you can do and how much time you have. Right, absolutely. And and if what you can do is only going to be one-third of to make something great, you're mediocre, you're better off sure. using someone else. Sure. If you have the, t- and, you know, everyone has a difference, what do you value more, time or money? Yep. And everyone's got a different answer. Absolutely. And so yep. that it's the same argument, right? What do you want more of, time or money? Yep. It's funny because when I uh, I was about halfway through my book, and I realized that I was saying best practice, best practice, best practice. And best practice is, you know, I think we use it interchangeably as um, the only way to do it. But sometimes we mean the way to do it if you have infinite time <laughs> and I resources. Totally agree. You know, and we, th- that the audience would be better served if, if we kind of broke it down. I've started to do this in my presentations or definitely in my classes, in my market motive classes. Somebody will ask me a question I'll say, well, it really depends on how much time you have. If you mm-hmm. have a little time, do it this way. If you have a lot of time, do it this way. Uh, I agree. You know? I've had to do that for a long time because, I mean, technically, when you look at an ad group structure, right, your absolute best case scenario is one ad copy per keyword. Right. Actually, one ad copy per keyword match type. That's right. <laughs> Now, who's going to sit down? If Nobody. you have 10,000 keywords and then you have three match types, mm-hmm. no one's going to write 30,000 ad copy. So that's there's a big difference between, I mean, even we say best practice, and we don't follow one no. ad copy per no. match type keyword combination. I don't have the money to pay employees for that. Yeah, yeah. right. So, so I, I totally agree. Oh, I think this. I just lost a client. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when we come back from this uh, next uh, important sponsored message, um, I want to touch on something we talked about last year or the year before. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. Oh, keep going? Keep going. Okay. Instead, we're just going to keep going. Um, So, as as regular listeners know... um, uh, you, you sparked an epiphany for me in, in December of 2008 on the uh, automated bid management panel when uh, I thought you were choking and you were off topic, but it turned out that you were right on topic. And that was micromanaging keywords has the smallest leverage uh, for a PPC manager when you, when you look at all of the time that they need to spend to, uh, to do many dissimilar tasks. Micromanaging keywords has the least impact on profitability and volume. So that led to various discussions with without alcohol about um, you know the future of keywords and uh, that led to uh, actually I think Andrew Goodman and I had a no no that was different I just saw Andrew hi Andrew um, the point is uh, some people have been predicting that keywords will go away search keywords uh, specifically 
in that um, I think Nick Fox uh, gave a speech the following year uh, talking about um, Google's aspiration, which may be impossible, maybe one of these zero uh, defect manufacturing aspirations, which is um, advertisers won't have to worry about keywords. All they'll do is tell Google what they're advertising, who their audience is, and how much they want to charge, and how much profit they want to make, and Google will take care of the rest. So what, what's your opinion about that these days? That's still a long ways off. Just because a plumber's not a plumber's not a plumber, mm-hmm. right? They have different value propositions. They have different messages they want to they want to get across. Um, and honestly, if if I were on, let's say I work for Google, I don't. But if I were to say, what's the biggest risk to this model? It's landing pages, right? That's I mean, they can probably drive the traffic good enough. It won't be perfect, but again, we'll we'll, we'll take our good enough discussion earlier. Mm-hmm. They're probably good enough for the traffic. But as we all know, a landing page, if it's bad, it doesn't matter how good your traffic is, nothing will ever convert. So in that that model, who takes the risk of the initial conversion? Does does the advertiser still give Google a deposit? And if Google doesn't get a conversion, they don't pay anything? That's a huge risk off of Google's monetary side. That's right. Or does does Google take the – or the advertiser take the risk? Because then it really comes down to landing page optimization, of course, and – Mom and pop shops and small businesses, and I mean, we are, we're, David and I are both mm-hmm. small businesses. We don't spend all day, every day just optimizing landing pages. We have to run our businesses and grow things and meet with clients mm-hmm. and other stuff. And so I think we're a long way off still because essentially you're giving up some brand control to truly do that. And Google has not, I mean, they have one piece of the puzzle with their. Um, Website optimizer, yep. and yet you have Google Sites, yep. but you, they don't have enough pieces to truly take over the landing page That's part right. yet. I absolutely agree, and I'm realizing that um, Google has experimented with some CPA models with AdWords, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. We don't have the internal data to say whether they've been successful for advertisers or Google, but I think ultimately you're right that that's a risk to Google's business model. You can't tie your your uh, revenue for and, and your shareholder value to uh, uh, factors that are entirely outside of your control, and that's the landing pages. It's very, very ironic. I mean, and I'm, I'm hoping that listeners are taking away the fact that, you know, we, you and I have been uh, proselytizing uh, for, for years now about the fact that landing pages, creative and landing pages, are so important, and in the grand scheme of things, at least as important as keywords. Um, but maybe it'll be one of those things that, uh, like, like the David Ogilvy story we were telling earlier, it's going to take uh, more generations than, than we think to uh, evolve. I, mean, I can honestly admit, and I've only done this with some of my affiliate stuff, and yeah, I've, I mean, I started as an affiliate, that there have been months at a time where I could care less about my bids because they were good enough. Mm. Care less about my keywords because they were good enough. And I spent all my time on the landing pages. Because you know what? For me to lower a bid or raise a bid by $0.08... Cents, had not nearly the impact of testing eight landing pages and multivariate testing and getting the conversion right correct. Again, it's a time thing. And then going back to managing the keywords. Yep. Um, I can say I've done that many times. And usually it's successful because um, you're, right. you're creating something then where when you change a keyword bid, it's a short-term change. It's not a long-term change. When you affect your landing page or add a brand new keyword, a brand new ad copy, it's a long-term change. Yep. That's a very good point. Uh, I'm going to have to play this episode for some of my clients. <laughs> the, the ones who say, and you know who you are. 
um, are you adding more keywords? You need to be adding more keywords to my campaign. That's that's progress. You know, more keywords, find more keywords. And I, I try to help them understand in a very um, obviously diplomatic way because I'm really thinking of them. And I'm talking, you know, unfortunately it's interpreted as laziness. What I'm really saying is, you know, you're deploying me as a resource. You should want me focused on the highest leverage stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, unfortunately they just don't get yet that keyword micromanagement is not the highest leverage stuff. No, it's... I mean, landing pages, and you know, this is this is where you can see the progression in the industry. I mean, we're we're at SES right now, and SES four years ago, there might have been one session on conversion rates, right? And it was probably more an analytic session that happened to mention conversion rates, right. esoteric stuff. Yeah, where now you will now there's not there's landing pages, there's post click marketing. Right there's there's all Tim Ash's conversion conference. Yeah, and this stuff didn't exist, and That's people right. are finally starting to realize that traffic is only one piece of the puzzle. I mean, when you look at at what makes a conversion, there's traffic, there's an offer, there's a landing page, right? And traffic's not that hard to get. Mm-hmm. The offer, yes, you have to tweak with tweak it, mm-hmm. but if the landing page isn't there, who cares about the other two components? Doesn't matter. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the end of yet another stimulating discussion that will go on forever, I hope. Uh, thank you very much, Brad. Uh, thank you, David. <laughs> Anytime. And uh, listeners, I, I, I swear on a stack of Bibles and George's lush head of hair that I will <laughs> I'll see you next week right here on BBC Rockstars. Stars.